Esports is one of the fastest growing industries in the world. And this is the podcast where we talk all things branding, marketing, sponsorship, and events. I'm Rebecca Langawa, founder of Happy Warrior, and I'm an esports brand builder and strategist. Join me as I discuss the world of marketing and esports with some of the top experts in the industry. Welcome to the future marketing in esports. Welcome, guests, to the future of marketing and esports. I'm your host, Rebecca Langawa, and today I'm excited to have a guest with me, Jeff Palumbo. And Jeff is the Global Esports Solutions Manager, focused on education for Lenovo, Lenovo Esports. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Always nice to chat. Always great to chat with you. I feel like I learn something new every time we we have a discussion. So, you know, esports solutions manager at at Lenovo. Can you tell me a little bit about what that what that means for my listeners? Yeah, sure thing. So, a lot of our competitors right now are focusing specifically on the product that a lot of either students or adults use for their esports programming. When I came in, I really wanted to focus on what helped create a successful program. So a lot of the services and solutions we are bringing or I'm designing are actually helping schools to either operationally or, you know, encompass what they were trying to do, help things get up and running a little bit easier, manage them a little bit easier, or allow them just to not have to worry so much about the esports piece and instead engage with our students. We want to be the thought leaders in the space. Not, I mean, yes, we have tons of great product. That's kind of you know, said is the number one PC manufacturer in the world, but we don't want to focus on that because success doesn't come from product. It comes from the people around it. And we want to make sure that we have the service solutions so that anybody, regardless of who they were or how um, in-depth into the esports world, which is not a lot of people right now, could be successful in their programming. So what are some of the issues that as an organization Lenovo was seeing when it comes to education that you really believed that bringing in that thought leadership could help fill those gaps? Well, there were kind of two things. There's the the technical piece. So we had a lot of people asking me a lot of questions of Jeff, you know, what is esports? So we would go into the fact of why they're important, right? We have a lot of people that just haven't been a gamer or haven't been part of that industry. And I've been in it for over a decade now, been a gamer since I was four. So for me, it was trying to allow people to jump into what they were trying to accomplish from an esports program or give them the basics of what they were trying to accomplish. But I think that other piece of being a sports leader was less technical. It's more of the thought leadership of what does your diverse program look like? We know that only about, well, give or take 30% of any incoming freshman class into a college or university has played traditional sports, 90% of play video games. And we wanted to make sure that people understood that gamers and esports programs in general are most likely going to be the most diverse program on your school, campus, rec center, or, or whatever it might be, because gamers don't really care what color your skin is or who you pray to or what your sexual orientation is, or if you have a disability or even who you pray to. As soon as you hit the keyboard and mouse, you're all the same. And we wanted to maintain that and we wanted to highlight groups working on the same type of things that we could partner with to forward that situation as well. 
And so when you're working with a school, are these schools that do they already need to have an esports team or club developed or do they just need to have somebody who's going to kind of own bringing that to fruition? Yeah, great question. The first thing we tell any school is they have to have a focal. And the reason for that is uh, we have seen that certain people or certain schools in the past or rec centers have said, hey, we'll get a bunch of PCs, throw them in a room, and there's your esports program. And really what you need is a focal that is a continuous driving factor in wanting success for the program. From there, obviously, you do need hardware. I mean, you can't really, you know, play <laughs> with sticks and stones and stuff like that. It does take a little a little bit more than your basics. But um, once you have that go-to person, then you start building out what we consider as infrastructure. You know, what type of engagement events you're going to have, what nights you're going to have them, and then consistency. I also work with a lot of schools that are in one of two buckets. It's usually they're starting from scratch, which is fine, or they already have a club on campus with students that are engaged, and now they want to put a little more solidification around it or even expand that program into something that is a little more tangible. So what are those tangible ways that you are working with the schools? Some of them, like I said, is designing that kind of engagement campaign. Other ones, especially when it comes to expansion of programs, or I guess it could be setting up as well, is what is that goal structure and what are your key performance indicators? And it's great to say, hey, we want this program to be huge. And you're like, okay, but huge isn't really trackable. What is huge? Are you saying you want to ha you have zero students now and you want to bring it to 30? If so, that's great. That's a great goal to have. And then how are you going to track it? Are you going to use something like GG Leap and you want the engagement structure of that tool in order to show and validate how many people are participating? Are you going to track it through Discord and how many people are going to join your Discord service? Are you going to track it through how many events you have per year or maybe how many do you have a varsity team at the end of the year or getting ready for one? Those are all wonderful ways of tangible success, but they have to be laid out ahead of time. Now, granted, the one of the cool things about esports is the fact that you can't plan for everything and people's esports programs are just exploding in popularity. Even schools that are like, oh, we'll just start, we'll start with six PCs and a couple consoles. You know, that should be enough for now. All of a sudden they have 70 kids in the room stacked in at, you know, 215 after this, the bell rings. And we're like, wow, we need more space. We need more PCs. We need more consoles because these kids are engaged. And even beyond that, they're also saying, hey, we want to learn. How do you do all these cool things that my favorite Twitch streamer or YouTube streamer or whatever are doing? I didn't know there was the production was a was a job. So they're really starting to get engaged in that aspect. And that's another one of those key performance indicators of how many students are actually graduating from high school looking for a degree in college or and getting into something with a minor or some of the schools that are coming out majors. Or are they going right in? Are they doing shoutcasting? Or do they have their own Twitch channel? There's all sorts of really kind of cool ways. You just have to kind of track it down and then be flexible enough to add more in as bonuses as time goes on. I'm sure that the age demographic really varies school to school, but how early are you seeing schools start building out esports programs? The majority we see right now are that 9 to 12. Uh, that That's definitely the main kind of chunk from a K through 12 perspective. However, we are seeing a lot more six through eight and even more that are like kindergarten and growing in. And they're almost using them 
a lot of schools are coming up with different ideas as to how to how to tie them together. And really, the gaming is really just the 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 tool at that point. Mm-hmm. It's more of how are they gauging kids to be wanting to come to school and how do they want to learn. So it's a little bit different. I, I wouldn't necessarily call it esports per se. But we do see a lot of kids and a lot of leagues opening up that are in starting at nine years old and playing Rocket League seems to be the big one. Or they're playing now kids are even playing Fortnite and Valorant at those ages. And there there are leagues that are in that nine to 15 age demographic that are now also looking at looked at from high schools. And they're actually being used as like recruitment grounds. Uh, because now where esports is brand new now and you can actually say, hey, I'm entering a program as a senior in high school, what we're starting to see in the trend is that just like any other sport, when you were four or five, six years old, you get entered into soccer or football or whatever. And by the time you are 10, 11, 12 years old, you're playing on a club team. So you're mm-hmm. playing almost year round. We're seeing more of that structure starting to take place. And which only means amazing things for esports because there's so many kids that I would assume feel lost or lonely or don't fit in sometimes and don't play traditional sports. Now they have a way to connect. And I think that's just amazing being that young connecting. I totally agree. And I don't remember the study or the stat specifically, but the gist of it basically was that when young people, middle school, high school kids have an after school program that they can go to like esports to kind of fuel their interest when they're not a traditional athlete, that the graduation rate is higher, their mental health has, is better because it gives them kind of a sense of purpose and a sense of community where before they didn't have that at, at their school setting. And I'm sure you guys have done a ton of research and have seen similar studies. Yeah, there there are a lot of studies like that. We're looking into doing some more that are going to validate some of that information. Because again, esports is changing so quickly that it's almost hard to keep up with the research because when it started, say five years ago, in a lot of higher education and professional, nobody else was really doing it. So the pools of who they were talking to for the research were small. And now the pools end up are becoming much more broad and much more diverse. So I think a reboot of a lot of the data is going to start coming over the next couple of years. And it's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, data aggregation for me has been one thing that really, in comparison from my time working in the NBA, there seems to be such a a lack of having all of that information kind of aggregated, especially, you know, working in pro esports and looking back, it's hard to really find out the the career of particular athletes, you know, pro esports talent. You know, when you take a look at an NBA player, you can go all the way back sometimes to elementary school and middle school competition and and see their stats and their competition level and what team they played for all the way through. In esports, it's a little bit more fragmented and there's not a traditional like conveyor belt of how to get from one place to the other as a gamer, um, where in traditional sports, you kind of know like, oh, you start in little league and then you get into these structured programs within your school and elementary, middle school and high school. At the same time, you can join all these club teams to excel and work with these different trainers. With these sports, it's been a little bit wild west, I think, from 
the not only the schools, but the parents trying to figure out how do you kind of keep your kid engaged and what are the programs and what really makes sense if they're aspiring to compete professionally? What are the things that you're doing from Lenovo Esports standpoint to start really kind of tracking? Maybe it's not that data specifically, but, you know, really kind of tracking some of these things and putting some meat around. We're definitely trying to partner with organizations that already are starting that type. So there's some leagues that we're starting to have partnerships with. There's some organizations we're starting to have uh, partnerships with. And it really is being the thought leader on just how we take it to that next level. The thing we have to be really cautious about is the sharing of information of children who are any age, but specifically under the age of 18. So a lot of the recruitment tools that we would normally have that you can see in baseball and basketball and football don't necessarily exist to that extent yet. And information is so easily shared now that I think so, a little, some people are a little hesitant on putting it out there. The other part is there are going to be a lot more kids playing esports or that could have their information in a certain aspect so that you, you can track it back. It's just how do you lock it down for certain periods of time with social media and, and Twitch in general, by the time you're 13, you can create a YouTube or Twitch account and start streaming. So I think that's kind of the point that certain people are going to be able to track back to unless they are starting one or becoming part of one of these leagues that is for six, seven, eight year olds or nine, 10, 11, 12. And they're going to just these small events that they're winning. And they're like, oh my gosh, you won one of these. But I think you're going to start to see more and more of that. You're going to start to see that the reason people want to advertise in these smaller leagues is because they they have recruits there. They have people from college kind of looking at them. They have all these club teams kind of spinning off into a more professional layout of training so that the kids can get really good at whatever game it is. Because again, if 30% of students are participating in traditional sports, and that's another 70% of kids that could be participating in esports if they so choose to do anything at all. And I think that's amazing. That's going to be something that just the the amount of data mm-hmm. is going to dwarf all the other types of tracking that's out there. And we have to be careful that it's in the right hands. Right. And we know that you know majority of kids are gaming. So it's just, mm-hmm. are they gaming like the style, right? Like what, what, how are, the, how are those young people engaging with gaming? Is it just playing mobile or playing just for fun with friends? Are they on PC? Are they on console? What's the culture that they're and community that they're involved in? You know, my son is, he'll be 15 this week. He's really interested in, you know, playing Valorant with his friends. He's getting better and better. Like as weeks are going on, he's like, maybe I should start streaming. Maybe I should think about joining some um, competitions, you know, because, he also sees me at work and we just keep signing more and more content creators that are, you know, some of them as young as 16 years old with our org. Mm-hmm. So it gets his brain going, wait, this, this might be, this might be achievable for, for me and getting him interested in that. But everyone games differently. It's really interesting to see kind of how that evolves. You are also focused on the collegiate space as an organization. How do you work with colleges and universities? Does it differ from working with high schools and middle schools? Um, not 
normally usually it's a, a little bit crazier in the higher ed space because now you're dealing with provosts and ctos and cios and there's a little more focus on it they usually have i don't want to say all of them have more money because they don't they, they differ there are some that ha only have enough for six pcs and there's some that are like hey we can do a 1.5 million dollar space no problem so i think the the focus is a little bit different in high school and, and below right now i think a lot of it is purely engagement and I think what you're seeing in college university is, yes, engagement and diverse programs are good for students that are on campus, but also we need to form a varsity team and we need to win. So right. I think it's a little bit more of the what you would consider an athletic structure, even though very few programs are actually supported by the athletic department. Most of them are starting to, as the engagement kind of roll, the recreation engagement starts to kind of roll up and you have your students that are part of that. Those roll into what we call clubs, which are, you know, a group of people that kind of gravitate around one or two games. The best of those kind of float to the top and they want to be competitive. We know that from a, a college university perspective, only about 90, or I'm sorry, only about 10% of students actually want to be competitive. The other 90% are the ones, the kids that want to get into production or social media or any of the other massive amount of jobs that are out there. But a lot of colleges are focusing on that 10% because that's where a lot of the content comes from. And that's where athletic, that's what they know, right? They know how to make money off of a winning brand. Mm -hmm. So I think you're going to start to see more and more of that over the next couple of years. Do you think that it's going to continue to go down two channels? I really love the, the, conversations around athletics versus academics and what bucket does this fall into? But I think with this industry, there there's definitely two completely unique routes. And is there a way for those to live together jointly within one school, one university? Yeah, I, I think there are. I'm helping UNC Chapel Hill develop what we call uh, an esports ecosystem right now. And what that's all about is the how does an esports program who has students that are participating at all different ranges and all different types of, like I said, some are varsity players, some just want to be in the club, some just want to do an engagement. But what we're seeing is, hey, in order for these kids to really get good at broadcasting or get really good at production or social media or whatever, they need the tools in order to do so. And the, the computer has tools on them, but they, they need the understanding from a professional, which is your professor. At the same time, we know that in esports, and you know this better than anybody, content is king. So what does that content stream look like? So that's where that ecosystem comes in of, are we going to start having professors start teaching curriculum that is almost like a tie-in to a direct internship internally at the campus to help do production broadcasting or shoutcasting if you so choose social media engineering all these these parts of the program that are going to help it excel and then how is the athletic department or how is that that um stream of consciousness i guess that's at the school already going to jump into a lot of their sponsors and have some of that money trickle down into esports and yeah. so and by doing so, you're really just strengthening internally the program. You're making students get ready for careers that are right literally outside the door that there's just so many of them they can't fill right now. It's ridiculous. But at the same time, with this content, you're also generating content, which is generating more views, which means more people want to see it, which means the school is going to say, oh, well, we can put your name on our brand for X amount of dollars. And that's why just like any other traditional layout. 
that they have. But I think the other piece we're really seeing in that ecosystem is if you do want it, what does it mean to be a streamer? For a lot of live productions, most, and you know this from the NBA, you're really only live for maybe 20 seconds at a shot. Where streaming is you're live for four hours at a shot and having to interact with a live audience that is in your chat stream. So what does that look like? And we, what we know is that a lot of the athletic departments also have, just like the NBA, media trainers. Mm-hmm. Well, what they're doing is UNC Chapel Hill has been talking about having their media training and then having a second second layer to that saying, we're going to train you the same way our, our athletes are trained, but you also need a secondary visual ability to train yourself as to how to do this. And I think, again, that's going to come back to professors being able to teach things that could be really good for uh, a lot of the students and show them jobs they might want all over the place. So hopefully it looks like a nice little one of those, you know, cycle circles. But, you know, I'm not good at PowerPoint, so I don't know if it's actually going to look like that or not. A relationship circle. I think that's what the, yeah, the technical term is called. I'm not a technical term kind of a girl, but I'm totally with you. And I think, you know, one thing that I can speak from my own experiences, you know, working in the NBA, working for a pro team, a lot of times people, well, all of the time, almost all of the time, when people ask me what I did, you know, working for a pro sports team, there weren't a lot of questions about it. It was like, okay, yeah, like they they understood that there's an entire ecosystem, an entire business that's working and breathing every day in order to sustain the monetization of a pro team. It's harder for people to wrap their head around that. Even people that are like running schools and running major brands for them to wrap their head around the complexity of, of what that ecosystem looks like. I mean, it's like running a pro sports team and running a social media company um, running a production team. A lot of it reminds me of like drama class, my senior year of high school, where the drama class consisted of kids who were like really wanting to be in music and acting, but also the soundstage lighting, like the whole AV team, the whole AV club was like involved in drama because they could yep. hands on work the the lighting and do decor and like, you know, be the stage hands kind of of those types of productions that were happening at the school. And it's kind of like all of those things in one. So you can't just take one model and just force it into esports, which I think that's what people are doing to try to wrap their head around it is like saying, mm-hmm. oh, it's this, it's it's how you run a pro sports team. Well, it's that and a lot of other things as well. Right. So no one ever has asked me when I worked in for the Timberwolves, like if I, they, or assumed that I was like a basketball player, you know, but people ask me, all the time or assume that I'm like a gamer or a streamer. And I just have an innate understanding of the business of esports and the business of gaming and communication strategies and sales strategies. So it's, there's so much room for people to work in that space and for colleges and universities, and even at the high school level to start training kids. I love that UNC is focused on media training because I think there's a ton of room for people to learn more about not only what you should do, but what you shouldn't do when you're streaming. Yes. Cause it oh, the yeah. on approach you're talking about to me is, you know, very real, very risky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a whole lot of don'ts. There's more don'ts than there are do's. And it, you know, a lot of it is cover yourself. You know, we're living in a time where social media is instantaneous 
and slipping up and making a remark could get you not only fired if you're obviously um and a part of a career but as a student then the school has to take heat for it and they really don't want to do that you know again back to being a college athlete and after the game they you know, a reporter talks to you for 20, 30 seconds. That's one thing, but to be streaming in a shoutcaster for a live event and then talking with people after, or it's your personal stream and you're connected to the school for four hours. Like you really, really have to be careful. But I think to that point also is you're getting kids who it's commonplace now, you know, they're getting into streaming at an early age and I would have been beyond scared to be streaming and talking to tens to hundreds of people at a time. If I was 13 years old, I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know how to interact. And a lot of these kids are almost born into it where the sharing and the social media and, and some of the media, I guess the, the way you should act are almost to an extent built in. Um, because they see other people do it. Now, I also see adults doing it completely wrong. We have all seen those people, the Facebook warriors or the keyboard warriors who their anonymity, you know, hides them from all the nice things they say. But when you don't have that, you cannot be anonymous when you're streaming. So I, we do see a lot of that. We see a lot of colleges and universities as they are growing considerably worried about that because now it's not just their varsity team. What if it's a student at their school that's streaming on their own? So there's also all sorts of stuff coming out of that. But I would say that while part of it could potentially be seen as negative or problematic, the amount of good and just cool things that students could do that we didn't have growing up and they have access to that they just kind of like, oh, that's great. You know, like when my son was four years old, he could turn on an iPad and just go to whatever app he wanted. I'm like, how, the, how do you know that? I didn't even teach you that. I think kids, as they get more into what media does, I think we as parents or we as teachers and professors and counselors and like guidance counselors are going to be prepping them more and more as to what that world looks like, because it might not be necessarily that you're on Twitch or YouTube. It could just be that you have to be careful of what you say and how you do things in your day-to-day life that could, because now everybody's got a phone to record it. So it, it could be... Six and one half dozen of the other. Yeah. You know, another thing I'm I'm really noticing is the always on information sharing, that always on, always connected community, the sharing of just how to do things, how to tackle something in my household has been um, really eye-opening. Like my son is almost 15 and he can solve so many problems because he can just ask real time his community for advice or he'll see something on TikTok. I I saw in the entryway, which is a weird place for it, a stick of deodorant that had like a big dip in the middle, like his gel deodorant had like a big dip in the middle. There was no lid on it. So I brought it into the kitchen. I was like, why is this? What's going on with this deodorant? Like, where's the lid? Why is it in the entryway? And he heard on TikTok that you could rub the deodorant on like your belt of your car. And if it was getting sticky and it would like lubricate it. And that's literally what he did to one of his cars yesterday, apparently that he's, I'm like, well, how did you even hear to do that? He was like, oh, I learned it on TikTok. All right. That's 
interesting. I don't, I don't know if it's how safe it is, but you know, he had a problem with his car and he asked his little community and that was the solution. Mm-hmm. And he went and he tried it. Right. Which is cool. I mean, he's very young and he's investing in different apps and investing in acorns and doing all this stuff that I can't even wrap my head around the ability for me to be able to do that. But I, I, at his age, right. But I think a lot of it just comes with the way that the esports and gaming community is always sharing ideas and having these types of conversations and sharing what's working for them. It just makes them really clever. And it also makes them really informed consumers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I see a lot of is I use the analogy of you would never see a college football coach giving his playbook to another football college coach, but in esports, the schools want to share mm-hmm. because they know that as esports grows at everybody's school, it's better for everybody. It's better for the kids. It's better for the community. Obviously, they want you know revenue to come in as a direct source from esports in the future. And as everybody onboards, more advertisers are going to find ways to do that. You know, ABC, CBS, NBC, and all those in the next couple of years are going to have. They're going to have esports tournaments on TV. It's just prime time. It's going to happen. So uh, it is very awesome to see that kind of sharing. And you're right. Kids really, I mean, I use it too. I was looking just the other day on YouTube as to how different people were putting a new flooring in their their uh, kitchen, which I would not even think about trying five years ago. But now I'm like, I could do this. And even though I might not be able to still do it, I might think I can. But it's great to be able to jump right in and try to fix something immediately. Again, that cost of sharing and that cost of information is also the ability to be knowledgeable and experienced enough to know what is not correct. Mm -hmm. Because we've seen trends on TikTok and on Twitter and on Vine when it was on, where kids do really, really, really not good things that are extremely bad choices. So I think that's where, again, that's where we come in. That's where we as parents, we as advisors, we as teachers still have to teach kids that certain things they see on the internet are still dumb. And there are adults that sometimes you have to keep in check as well as, hey, there are certain things that you may think are not good, but here's why students like them. Here's why they're okay. So it's almost the reverse, that technology is moving so quickly that kids are jumping on, parents are trying to keep up, but at the other end, what things could be really good are not being accepted at upper levels of colleges, universities, and high schools, and they should be, but it's because it's moving so fast that the people leading those colleges, universities sometimes miss the boat, and they just don't know how to comprehend it. Like you said, it's very difficult for in their mind, how do they kind of bring it all together? What are some of the misconceptions that you see most often from Lenovo's side when talking to leaders at at colleges and universities and high schools? I think the number one thing is that they have to buy 60 PCs to be successful. And that's just not it. Like I tell everybody, you need six PCs and two consoles and a couple TVs to put the consoles on. And you're really off and running. If you want to do it better where the kids can practice against each other and you can do some streaming, you want 12. So it doesn't really have to cost a lot. And I think the other thing is, well, you know, one of your competitors said, I need this PC. There's a lot of misinformation on what kind of PC you need to run games. League of Legends basically runs on anything. (laughs) I mean, it's like a five-year-old graphic card, six-year-old graphic card, and it is no problem getting 144 frames per second. So what I tell a lot of schools is 
you take your highest graphic intense game and that syncs up to the card that you want. If you want it to last longer, go up a card. That's that's basically what I tell a lot. Or if it's you know virtual reality, sometimes you want to go up a card as well. Um, but I think that other piece is that they need curriculum immediately. And I don't agree with that at all. I think the in, the students are already going to be engaged. And what we see from a lot of schools and a lot of teachers that are actually having esports programs are saying, hey, you know, we thought we need a curriculum. Yes, we do need some sort of curriculum coming with us. But what we're really seeing is that students are coming to us and asking us to be to teach them. And we don't have the proper curriculum or, or workshops in order to do it just because this stuff didn't exist three years ago. So I think that is what we're trying to accomplish. We're, we're working with a couple potential partners right now to bring and help schools attain a curriculum that is actually standardized. And that's the other big thing that we see is all these curriculums that are out there. There's no real one standardized curriculum for esports yet anywhere. If it's out there, I sure have not come by it in any of my research or any of my who I've spoken to. There are little bits and pieces, but what it is is, hey, I'm in esports. I'm going to write the way that certain things should happen in your school, and here's the idea around it. What we're trying to really do is find a company that we're working with right now as a potential, and they have standardized esports programming that also has lesson plans it also has all the tests in there and they update it every six months to a year because esports is so rapidly growing i won't throw their name out there just in case the, the partnership doesn't work out but if it does then that will at least give a lot of schools the ability to use somebody they already know and trust in the space mm -hmm. and it can at least set the 80 percent of standard so if a student is going from high school to college, they understand the basics are the same. If they're going to be in professional esports, they understand that what they learned before is the same. Or if they're in professional esports as a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old, which we see all over the place right now because the reaction time is so ungodly high, that they know that whatever they're learning in school, while they understand the varsity piece of it and the competitive piece, the, everything else that they're learning, they can still use in their future as they grow. Because by the time they're 24, 25, chances are they are no longer a professional esports player. They are retired. But everything they learned hopefully will help them and benefit them so that it, they can communicate effectively throughout the rest of their career. Right, right. And, you know, does it also create their ability to just transition into a career maybe on the brand side or on a team side or org side based on the, those types of experiences and then being a part of that ecosystem and having a line of sight to that, I think is what's really going to set esports and, and, you know, the competitive gamers and streamers apart from what we've seen with traditional athletes, which isn't necessarily a line of sight into what another career could be for them unless they, you know, become a football coach or basketball coach. There's like not a lot of other options that are being presented to them while they're competing. And I think we have the ability because it's so early to change that narrative and give that type of education and thought leadership and networking to these young people before it's too late. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, one of the things that we come up to that people forget a lot about, especially as they start looking at something as a varsity program, is a esports is extremely new, and a lot of these students 
have never been part of a team before. And it's not because they haven't played sports, but most times what we see is that students that have not been introduced to traditional sports have been part of a team, part of a some sort of, of structure. They don't have sometimes the soft skills that you would have if you were getting barked at by a coach when you're five years old as to what to do and how to get better, right? There's that, that level of coach tells me that what to do. I practice that in a game. If I'm not doing it, the coach is going to tell me. I don't take it personally. Well, what we see sometimes even in college is that this is the first time students are stepping into this out of their shell and into this environment that there's a lot of people that are depending on them and there's stress along with that. They have to be able to communicate with a team and they need to be able to accept mistakes when they happen and not freak out. Uh, we've heard multiple times that students will, a coach will come in regardless of what game it is. And it used to be, it was a varsity team, quote unquote, run as a club by students. The school wants to invest. They get the computers, they get the, the consoles, they start engaging new students. And a coach comes in who do, does know what they're talking about starts playing in certain type of um, scrimmages or practice situations, the captain or the person who is their all-star is really bent out of shape when the coach says, well, you should probably do it this way. It's better from a team mechanic. And they storm off. Mm. The, the, the kid can't handle it because they're not used to being told what it's like, or they're not used to the pressure of being on a team where you have a job to do as part of a team, or they don't even know how to communicate next to somebody. They're great over a microphone and headset, but you put them actually next to somebody and all of a sudden they, they don't know, they're not as comfortable with that situation. So that is what we see a lot of coaches and a lot of schools also getting into, but it goes back to what you had said is those, those life skills, those those soft skills are going to carry them far outside of where esports could happen. You know, I don't know how many people I know have degrees in something completely other than what they're actually working in right now. But all the soft skills and the creativity and the things that I was learning back in the day and public speaking helped me now. And I'm, I'm not in any type of, I mean, technically I'm a professional esports, yes, but not from a you know, participation perspective. And I think we're going to see a lot of that in the near future, which is also why going back to the varsity and like in actual athletics, we're seeing a lot of schools say, okay, well, if you're going to be on the varsity team, you actually have practice times. We actually look at a board and find out what you did right and wrong. We're actually going to have tryouts. Oh, by the way, you need a certain GPA to stay here, just like any other sport, but you're also going to work out. You are going to be in bed by a certain time because if you're not getting sleep or you're chugging Red Bull and eating Cheetos at 3 a.m. and powering through, you will not be able, your reaction time is going to suck. Mm-hmm. And we can't do that because now you're on a team. You're part of bigger, something bigger than yourselves, and you don't want to let them down. And that sometimes is very stressful and hard on a lot of students that have never been in that position before. So it's interesting to see, again, back when you're, if it's going to start, like I think it will, where you are seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, getting into these leagues, a lot of that is going to disappear, but you're still going to see students that are, you know, right now getting introduced to team mechanics that don't know how to be part of a team. So it's interesting to see, obviously there are schools that are very small schools, you know, 500 students instead of the, the powerhouses like a Syracuse or a UNC Chapel Hill or a Seton hall that are just mopping the floor with who would be traditionally NCAA powerhouses, 
because they have five kids that can speak together and are a great team together and that mechanic works and they're outperforming other schools. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it, it just goes to show the power of teamwork and connectivity. And I think that's mm-hmm. where esports really breaks a lot of traditional barriers because like you said, you don't, you don't need to invest, you know, a million dollars to start your esports program. You can just start with, you know, six, six PCs, as you say, and two consoles. So it does level the playing field for these students to really be successful at, at a number of schools. And I even think some of the smaller schools have an advantage in regards to being able to quickly kind of pivot their traditional kind of, you know, maybe sports marketing type of programs to include esports and be able to pull that over the line at a more rapid rate than some of these really large schools that have layers of red tape and and leadership complexities versus a very small nimble school. And there's a lot of degrees when I talk to young students that are really interested in in gaming and esports and want their career to be aligned with that some way maybe they don't see themselves as being the next top streamer or being a competitor but they want to have their career in the space a two year degree can go a really long way in this space or going into trades like we were talking about you know sound stage lighting type of of roles those jobs there's a ton of room for that in this space where you can just go to a trade school and make a really great living and and have a really robust career down the road. And being like, I loved working in the NBA. I love sports. So for me, I loved going to work every day because it was just so exciting. And I feel the same way now being in this industry. So I think there's just like, there's no major barriers, what I'm trying to say in getting into this space. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. And, you know, there is that discussion for trade versus college. Like when I was in high school, it was you either were military or college. Trade school was kind of like, well, if you don't know what you're going to do or you're not really good at school, you go into trade. And we're not seeing that anymore. Now, you know, my son is like, do I have to go to college? And I tell him, not unless you really want to, because you could be a sound tech for a professional esports company or somebody like an ESL or somebody like that, you know, pulling in, uh, let's assume they make $50,000 a year with zero debt. Mm-hmm. And on the side, you can become an electrician because that's the next, you know, the, and you're kind of doing things on the side. Or again, if you're in shoutcasting, you might get into shoutcasting, be a streamer, doing all these games you really like. And all of a sudden, somebody wants to pick you up for a voiceover. Or you do want to go part-time for broadcasting at a college or university, but you apply for something on TV or on the radio or on Sirius or, you know, whatever it might be, and you get it. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, now I'm just going to go get the degree at night just because there is still an industry standard to have one, but I don't need one. But what if you're building sound stages? What if you're bringing in all of the other pieces that are production behind the scenes, like we said, and it could be rigging, could be lighting, could be just networking infrastructure. You could get a couple Cisco certifications and you're cranking out cash like crazy at 19 years old and you have zero debt. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's things to be said for going to university as well. Obviously there's bonuses, pluses, minuses to both, but you know, it's wide open. And I have people calling me monthly and they're like, Jeff, do you have, you know, do we have somebody that can fill 
this job at our at our university for like an esports director. And I asked every single time, I'm like, do you not have anybody applying? And they're like, no, no, we have tons of people applying. They're either gamers with zero experience that know that think that running an esports program is just running tournaments. Or we have business people coming in that have project management experience and they're PMPs and they can do Gantt charts and all that stuff, but they have zero ability to actually be part of the community. They don't understand it. They don't talk the talk. They don't walk the walk. And thus they can't engage with students. So they have no idea how to do it. This next set of students we have coming out are going to be the first set in the next, from now into the next five, six years, the first group of students who are the hybrid. Yes. They are going to have degrees. They are going to have experience and they're going to be able to use that to their benefit and get a job in the esports industry or not. Like I said, they might start in esports, but somebody like CBS might be like, we love you. We're going to pick you up. This is great. Well, I mean, you're seeing like major brands evolve their communication and marketing strategy to include esports. And just like you can go into any any major, you know, Fortune 500 company, and there is a team of people who are in charge of that organization's sports marketing. So from the brand perspective, they're sponsoring, you know, football and basketball, it's layering into esports. And that is going to be the, I think, a really next wave opportunity on the brand side for people who have experience and passion for the esports industry to be that internal voice at major brands to help them figure out how to do things with credibility and authenticity and not just advertise to a segment, but authentically be a part of the community. Mm -hmm. 100%. And I've actually spoken to media buyers from some of those major brands and they're asking the traditional questions that don't necessarily fit in esports. Right. You know, what's my uh, frequency and reach? Okay, well, that's kind of how you do it in esports. But what about your concurrent viewers and how does social media tie into that? And they're like, well, we don't, we don't really use those. So they they don't. It's hard to make a one to one comparison unless you were speaking to somebody that's like, hey, we're going to be streaming on Twitch. Here's how many concurrent viewers we have. Here is how many overall we're going to have during the tournament. And here's how we're going to benefit on social media. And here's also the content we're creating on. We're estimating this many entire eyeballs that are going to hit it. Right. There aren't people that a, that can build that for a, I mean, there are tournament Lee and league leaders that are doing that now, but there's not enough media buyers who understand it. So you are 100% correct that they are going to quickly, except for maybe like Pepsi, who's been in the game for no pun intended for quite some time with in Taco Bell, right? That, that whole brand has been in the gamer world for over, easily over a decade now, but a lot of them like Puma, Adidas, Nike, how are they jumping in? You see a lot of the CPG companies trying to do that because they know that that 18 to 24 demographic, especially in gaming is the hardest to reach. And they also know that with traditional sports, they're only potentially reaching 30% of the total audience of 18 to 24. So they're like, how do we do this? Yes, it is a very interesting space for advertisers right now. And I think there is... Hopefully, upper management and a lot of those companies are going to start coming to people like you and I and saying, okay, we we need to do this. Who do we need to hire? Who do we need to help? Who do we need to bring in? What interns do we need just to help us get over the hump? And then everybody is, go- it's going to be more lucrative for everybody. 
I think so too. And you can't just say, you can't just grab the youngest person in your organization and say, Oh, you, you are young and you know, video games help us figure this out. Like you really do need to have somebody who is an expert in the space and has experience in the space. Cause I mean, you've been, obviously you're in an, in, in an endemic industry to gaming and esports. So you've been involved in this for myriads. You've been in for over a decade, right? I've been involved in this space for almost four years. I'm going on my fourth year and I feel like I'm learning something new every single day. It just is evolving so rapidly. And I think where some brands are doing it wrong is they're just making assumptions about the, the space and having some internal people be in charge of like doing some research. It, it just is not going to bode well for them by, yep. by taking that approach. That and we see a lot of companies that are like, yeah, esports is cool. And then when push comes or shoves, they, they actually don't want to do it. Right. Well, they're they're, like, they, or they'll they say, this is the segment of people that we want to reach. And, you know, individuals like you and I are saying, hey, 87% of them are are in this thing, right? Like meet them where they already are. And they're like, oh, well, but not that way. We want to reach that audience, but I don't know. We yeah. don't want to re- we don't want to change the way we do business by doing it there. Like it's too scary right. for them. So they do nothing. Right. And 100%. Um, it's like, there's the cost of missing out is almost worse than the fear of missing out. I think a lot of brands are stuck in the fear of missing out, but they're not really understanding the cost implications of waiting so long to where the market will be in the future, completely oversaturated. And they're never going to be able to pay enough money to cut above the noise. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of people at what I would consider traditional advertising companies uh, or or big brands that really should step to the side and say, you know what, we're just going to have a new advertising division and we're going to hire somebody to run it because we don't know how to do it. We're going to give them a budget they can pitch for and yeah. we have to trust that they do it right. And it doesn't mean that it's, you're picking up your, you know, your grandson who happens to be 19 and you're like, you're going to run this. That's ridiculous. But there are a lot of people that are out there that are coming up that can understand it. There's people like you and myself and maybe another, I don't know, maybe a dozen others that could jump in and help as a consultative piece or something like that. But I think that's the other piece as well is there's a lot more companies than there are professionals like you and I. Yeah. They just, we, we are the first kind of wave of that. And yes, there are people at Intel and Microsoft and all in NVIDIA and AMD and all these other great companies that have somebody kind of like us, but we've been told, or at least I've been told that there's not a lot of people who understand end to end. Like you and I have both been in marketing. We've both been in operations. We've both have degrees in some form of communications, but we have a ton of experience in different parts that bring us to understanding the consumer nature as well as the commercial nature. There are not a lot of people like that. There are I think what's going to happen is you're going to start to see really smart brands say, okay, while you might not know that you have a lot of the same background that Rebecca and Jeff have just not in esports. We need to pick, we need to literally bring you into that realm. Go live it for mm-hmm. a year yep. and find, you know, find, do the, because focus groups aren't going to teach you how to be part of the program. You actually have to live it and be part of it and be want to accept the fact that it's something cool as something different. And if you're not going to don't do it, but 
when you jump full in, even as scary as it can be in those those very geeky, nerdy waters of, of gaming, which I love so much, those people are going to come. They're going to learn to love it like we do and see how, how much awesomeness it is just beyond playing video games. And those brands are going to be unbelievably successful in the near future. Yeah. And I think the brands that are really winning or are positioning themselves to win, a lot of them are very unexpected because they're thinking about it from a brand awareness aspect, like being authentically a part of the community through a really credible way, like Balenciaga and Louis Vuitton, where you wouldn't necessarily think of the demographic of gamers that are consuming content as being able to afford to have those brands. But when those brands invest in the space in tangible ways and make their narrative part of the community, they become a very aspirational brand. And, you know, I see a lot of pro gamers, they will have on a very high end, you know, maybe it's just like a pair of shoes or a bag, right? They're probably not head to toe dripping in, in Gucci, but it's, then it becomes aspirational to the audience, to those key audiences. And that's why you're seeing some luxury car brands in this space as well. They understand that being authentically a part of the community not only gives them clout and respect, but there will be a time in which that audience will grow in wealth and be able to become consumers of their brand and product. So it's not a, a direct one-to-one, let's track this KPI immediate purchase result. It's like being really authentically a part of the conversation in a, in a really kind of cool way and waiting and waiting for the, those moments to occur, which I think is probably the best way for any brand. You don't have to be a luxury brand in order to take that on. I think where a lot of brands are becoming successful is just being a part of the community, being a part of the conversation without asking or expecting anything immediately in return, because this audience, as you know, is just so sophisticated. They can see right through that type of marketing tactic. 100%. Yeah. Genuine engagement is what a lot of gamers want. They just want people to actually see them for who they are and care. A lot of brands are not doing that well. They think, well, let's just slap our logo on it. Yeah. You know what? Logo is static and they'll see it and they might think something's cool because their favorite streamer wears it, but it's not going to last. There, there's no attribution there. What's going to help is really them hiring people who want to be part of it. And you know what? Part of that might be sponsoring a professional esports team, but instead of it just being, Hey, we want our logo on there. We want you to do, we want to do a fundraiser for you with you for mm -hmm. this brand that we're part of. Mm -hmm. And we want to start bringing in those people. So they're like, Oh my gosh, all these gamers are now jumping in and maybe they're only giving five bucks at a shot instead of a thousand dollars is that, you know, normal that people would do not this kind of normal person. I don't make that kind of money, but the but they might find that a thousand gamers show up. So instead of a group of people throwing in a thousand bucks, you have five thousand or a thousand gamers throwing in five dollars. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, and I think one of the brands that, that has recently kind of done that the best, I'm trying to remember who it is. It's around Christmas time. Toys for Tots. I I'm gonna throw that one out. I think that's that's what it is with a lot of streamers. Mm -hmm. And they say we're trying to raise money for kids that don't have presents under the tree. And before they were going to their normal, you know, this is who donates and things of that nature. Then they started getting influencers involved, influencers using their community. And now a ton of that 18 to 24, 18 to 24 demographic that has grown up now know who Toy for Tots are. And they're probably donating on their own. 
Yeah. But that is an attribution model that they could have, they started obviously, and they seeded those knowing that not a lot is going to come from it. And all of a sudden over the last X amount of years, one of my favorite streamers, the loyal Patriot, amazing guy. I think he started our, his community the first year raised, I don't know, maybe it was like a thousand bucks. And I think this last year that he did it, I think it was his third or fourth year, they raised 10,000. Wow. So, and he's, yes, he's growing as a community or an influencer as well, but not that kind of growth, not 10 X growth. Yep. So it's just showing that they are doing it. And the more that brands want to genuinely just be part of it. Yes. I think everybody knows that they want you to buy their Adidas polo or something like that. It's implied. But I think. You have to, yeah. It's, it's, that's right. always implied. That's right. And I think gamers, like you said, are extremely bright. They get it, but just care, mm-hmm. like give us stuff that at least we might enjoy. Don't pander to us. Just be part of it. Like right. if our favorite streamers are wearing Adidas, we get that you paid them for that. That's how they're making their money. Yeah. But if we like it, let us find a place to buy it because we think it's cool and do stuff for in our community and in our environment that we enjoy. So we can actually, so we can give you it and show you respect yeah. instead of just being one more brand that just wants our money because gamers will chew them up and spit them out. I'm yeah. pretty sure that Reddit is 95% don't go to this company because here's <laughs> what they did and they suck. Yes. I think you're absolutely right. That's all the content that I'm seeing on Reddit. They do, they definitely will come at you if you're inauthentic um, mm-hmm. in their space or, you know, they feel like you're trying to take advantage of them. They're just a smart breed, but, yeah. you know, and, and it kind of goes back to the very first part of our conversation of what you guys are doing at Lenovo and your, your job specifically, which is being a resource, educating, being a thought leader, helping schools figure it out. If they purchase from Lenovo, that's great. That doesn't necessarily mean that they they have to have a transaction in order mm-hmm. to learn from what you're building, which, you know, is it speaks volumes to the work that you do. And I know you have a lot of really exciting things ahead as you continue to grow and build. What's the what is the future for Jeff and Lenovo Esports? I mean, That is really hard to say. I I think it's going to go, we as Lenovo Esports is already expanding outside of education into um, professional esports and solutions and services for rec centers, land centers, et cetera. But where I really want it to go is to help other groups really, how do I say this? Really excel where they couldn't excel before and be given opportunities where they were overshadowed before, because I think that's going to make the industry better. You know, I, I help out the Special Olympics of North America and building out their esports programs. I help out the USO. And when they have questions about esports, I'm helping the American Cancer Society build their esports program that they're going to have in Raleigh, North Carolina next year, hopefully. Like all these things are great ways that, and I don't, I just volunteer for them. It's just mm-hmm. me giving back to all these great, great groups. But then you have other groups and I'm going to plug you one, like the game hers, I'm going to throw that in there, you know, like, like HBS, HBCUs and organizations that are, that are helping them. Like those are two massive chunks of a traditionally male dominated gaming industry where the jobs that are out there are for anybody. And there should be no reason that your skin color or being male or female or any of the others that I talked about before 
should hinder you into getting anything that you find or any student or any even adult that wants to transition into one of these roles in esports can do because nothing should hold them back. And I want Lenovo Esports to be, hey, you know, we can go to anybody to get a PC. Great. There's 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 nine companies I can name off right now. You can go get a PC. The guts are pretty much all the same. But if you want to learn about what esports is about and you want to be with a company um, that actually cares in for the an overall environment of what esports is and group of people that bring actual value and that's what we're trying to accomplish. I want I want people to be talking about that in the next five years. And if they could say something nice about me and during that, that'd be great, but it's unnecessary. They don't need to do that. If I do my job correctly, I don't need anybody to say that I did a good job. All I have to hear is that people have jobs. People are finding friendships they didn't before. People are learning things they never did. And parents are finding avenues for their kids who they thought had nothing they weren't interested in anything all of a sudden they're happy they want to go to school they want to learn they want to be part of something that people that are of color or are female or don't feel like they fit in can find jobs and accept it in exactly what they want to do if i can have that in the next five years i have succeeded i love that and how do people get in touch with you? A good question. I, you know, they can email me if they have questions. You know, I am not in sales. You know, I, I should probably should have started that. I am a non-sales employee. My job is not to create sales for Lenovo. My job is to create successful programs for schools and universities and people who need it. But jpalumbo at lenovo.com is my email. If people need to reach out, if eventually we need to talk to a salesperson, we've got bunches of them. No problem. We can help you out. But uh, until then, let's start focusing on what we can do to help make you successful instead of what is it that you have to do right now? Like, we, let's step through it. Baby steps. That's the way. And I'm, I'm here to help you. And that's that's if it's a school or organization or if it is one of these major brands like your Adidas and Nikes and people that are just like, holy crap, we need to get into this, but we don't know the people. I'm not a consultant by trade. If you want to talk to Lenovo Esports, you can. Or Rebecca, I bet you probably is just as good, if not better at that. So either one of us can help you for sure. Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate you coming on and and sharing insights. I think a lot of people know who Lenovo is, obviously. But I I think that my listeners are going to be really surprised to hear what you are building and leading at Lenovo Esports and um, the thought leadership that you're bringing to the table. I personally have learned a lot from you over the past few months working with you with the GameHers and um, really looking forward to what's to come there and and more. So thank you so much for coming on. Anytime. Glad to be a part of it. Anytime you need me, you don't want to find me. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff.